electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the push for emergency use approval for COVID-19 therapeutics from Eli Lilly, Regeneron, and President Trump himself. There's a lot of questions still, but reason for hope, I think. We need hope (laughs) at this point. And last night's only meeting of the vice presidential nominees, Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. We're about freedom and respecting the freedom of the American people. Let's talk about respecting the American people. Pollster Frank Luntz on what the few remaining undecided voters think at this stage of the campaign. Undecided voters, and they only represent 6% of America. They're looking at the total candidate. What they're doing is watching to see whether or not they can trust that individual. And Mike Pence did extraordinarily well in that. Plus more virtual debate drama for the next one, if there is one. We've had problems, you know, just uh, crisscrossing this way. I can't imagine what what that's going to be like remotely. It's Thursday, October 8th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and it's good to see you this morning. First up on today's podcast, the president's treatments for coronavirus and their implications on Wall Street. In a video posted to Twitter Wednesday evening, President Trump touted the drugs administered to him and urged federal regulators to approve emergency use authorization for two in particular, Regeneron and Eli Lilly's antibody therapeutic treatments. Both companies submitted requests for FDA emergency use this week. Beyond clinical trials, very few COVID patients have received these treatments to this point. Also this week, the FDA published new guidance for vaccine manufacturers, mandating at least two months of follow-up safety data after vaccinating trial participants and making a vaccine approval before November 3rd, Election Day, unlikely. Here's Joe Kernan. Meg Terrell joins us now with more. And uh, Meg, uh, I'll just mention to you something that Art Cashin uh, actually wrote, uh, I think it was yesterday morning, that at least perhaps to keep in mind 20 percent of what we're seeing in the stock market in the rally after the the stimulus uh, debate could be because of of uh, we may have we may be getting closer to to some type of treatment uh, for covid i know you're going to talk about the president he looked did you see him yesterday after being diagnosed a week ago or whatever it was he looked good and looked he looked like he was almost fully recovered uh yesterday when he was talking about uh, this Regeneron drug. And, I'm, I, you know, he had a lot of medicines, so you can't tie it to one, obviously, but pretty amazing, I think, right? Well, certainly you can't tie it to one, but the president putting a lot of focus on these antibody drugs. We know, of course, he received Regeneron's cocktail on Friday. Eli Lilly is also developing an antibody in this space. Now, both of these companies have filed for emergency use authorization. We brought you that news from Lilly yesterday and last night, just hours after that video from the president, Regeneron announced it had filed for emergency use authorization as well. And there are still more of these uh, in clinical trials behind these. Now, guys, we'll have to see how quickly the FDA acts here. But the next question is going to be the supply of these medicines. Take a look at what the companies have told us about what they have available 
if they got emergency use authorization now. Regeneron says about 50,000 doses could be made available. It aims to get that up to 300,000 within a few months. Now, one dose is one whole course of treatment, so that's the number of people they could treat. Now, Regeneron does have a contract with the government, $450 million, under which it would provide those initial doses and the government would make them available to Americans at no cost. The government would also be responsible for the drug's distribution. Now, Lilly says it has a single antibody, not the cocktail approach that Regeneron's pursued, that it's filed for authorization of. Uh, it would have 100,000 doses of that available in October, and it also has a combo approach that it's filing for probably in November, uh, where it would have 50,000 doses in the entire fourth quarter. So guys, supply of these is going to be the next major question, a similar situation to what we saw with remdesivir. Hey, so Meg, earlier, before this happened, and we don't want to rush anything, obviously. You're talking about, uh, you know, a compassionate use for whatever this, this was, and, and with anything, especially monoclonals, you need detailed phase one, two, and three trials, and you need to, you know, have a, you know, a control group and everything else. So it's very important. But just philosophically, Meg, let's think about what a vaccine does. You introduce maybe a, a part of the spike protein, your body sees it and manufactures its own antibodies against the virus. Doesn't sound that much different if you're generating similar antibodies in vitro, in, in, in a test tube, and introducing those antibodies that are already against, uh, against the coronavirus. So, I, I mean, it almost takes out a step uh, of, of the vaccine where the body actually has to manufacture its own, and you're just giving someone the antibodies. And I said this the other morning, that that's a powerful idea if, you are, um, if you're convinced of the proof of concept that the, you can manufacture one of these that is similar to what the, the body would, would do naturally. This could be a game changer. I don't, I don't think that, that, that Trump is wrong on this. Yeah, you're exactly right in the way you describe that, Joe. I mean, this is an immune response that has been generated by someone against the coronavirus. Um, you know, some of these are, are actually taken from survivors um, of COVID-19. Regeneron also combined one of those with one that it uh, made in its labs. Uh, but it is the immune response. And while the initial trials were given as treatment for patients, similarly to what we saw in the setting of the president, he was recently diagnosed and received this treatment, it's also being tested as prevention for high-risk patients who've been potentially exposed to somebody with COVID-19. And so it is a similar idea. But the problem, Joe, is there just won't be a lot of these drugs exactly. available at the beginning. That's the problem. And they're 50. IV drugs, so they're not pills easy to take either. Right. Right. And, and it, it, in the president's I, case, it was very early on, too. And, and you worry about that second week when the virus has already gotten to a level that causes that immune response that, that can be so harmful. And, it, you know, you would have to get I assume you'd have to get this. You know, we have we need to do the testing, obviously. But it seems like uh, President Trump, it was an advantage that he got it very early on. Uh, in his treatment, theoretically, if that's what if that's what caused the improvement. So there's a lot of questions still, but but reason for hope, I think, to be, you know, we need hope <laughs> at this point after watching what's happened to the, the entire world. Right. Absolutely. Thanks. And, you know, we haven't seen what's happened with the president's viral load. So we don't have all of the information, of course. I'm sorry, Becky. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, we don't. We don't. It's just from appearances. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Uh, oh, Becky, Becky, you want you want in? 
I did. I, have, I had a question, too. Meg, you talked about how Regeneron thinks that they could get 300 million doses uh, ramped up in the next several months, which would be great. That's almost the entire uh, American population. Would all of that go to the American population? I know you mentioned that some of it's already been uh, bought by the government and kind of guaranteed, but are, are we talking about taking that and then splitting it with other nations, or would all of that stay in the United States? So I may have misspoken. They'll have 300,000 within a few months and only 50,000 now. Uh -huh. And that all has been purchased by the U.S. government. But that's why I'm kind of comparing have, it to the remdesivir situation where we were in a shortage. Yeah. So it, it's not going to be enough for everybody. They're going to have to make decisions about who should get this drug. Hey, Meg, real quick, you know, everybody's quite excited about uh, Regeneron and, and, and Eli Lilly now. The question, and, and I think that's in large part at least recently because of the experience that the president had. Having said that, the president was taking a variety of, of medications, including remdesivir, as you know. Uh, he was even taking Pepsid-AC, which uh, there have been uh, views and studies that looked at people in, in Wuhan and others who were taking that who had a, a much less uh, um, uh, or, or much quicker recovery uh, or, 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 or less problems. How much do we know that, this, that, 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 that his quick recovery was a function of Regeneron itself? We don't know that, but it's impossible to know if that is what helped the president. Um, the expectation is it makes sense. Uh, you know, he was given the antibody on Friday. We don't know what happened with his viral load. The way Regeneron describes it, it's precisely what they looked at in their clinical trial. They looked to see uh, if patients had mounted their own immune response and found in the placebo group, if patients hadn't early on mounted their own immune response, they did worse over time. And what we heard from the president's doctors yesterday is that on late Thursday night, you know, he didn't have antibodies. Um, you wouldn't necessarily expect him to have those IgG antibodies that quickly. Uh, and then he had the antibodies on Monday. Of course, Regeneron says it's probably their antibodies <laughs> that he had because they gave them to him on Friday. But the suggestion is if he didn't have his own immune response, they gave him this essentially immune response in a drug. It could have helped him, but we just don't know. He's also on dexamethasone, which makes you feel great. All right. Uh, Meg, thank you. Activist investor Dan Loeb is asking Disney's CEO, Bob Chapek, to end the company's annual dividend and to try to divert more of that capital to new content for the Disney Plus streaming service. Loeb's third point capital built a large stake in Disney uh, based on its streaming prospects. It's unusual, though, of course, for an activist to call for the suspension of a dividend in favor of capital expenditures. Most people don't want to spend more money. They want to get the money back to shareholders. But Loeb is arguing that Disney can trade similarly to Netflix if it can demonstrate best-in-class status in streaming and rise above the rest of the pack. So an interesting move uh, for Dan Loeb and an interesting move. We'll see whether Disney uh, decides to accept uh, that recommendation. Becky? I mean, there's probably a, a part of management at Disney that would love to accept that uh, and, and run with it. But I, I would guess, Andrew, that they're also concerned about alienating the long-term shareholders who have been there for the dividends. Um, Disney has a very wide um, shareholder base. And Dan's probably right. If they could get rid of some of the dividend that they're paying out and just focus it on future earnings, that could be a huge way to kind of juice the growth for the company. But again, you're talking about a loved, widely held stock and what that means for the, the people who have bought into it for such a long period of time. That's a, that's a gamble, and I'm right. sure they know there's, their there's also, investor base better than we do. There's also, there's also 
potentially a question about the timing of this, which is to say, given the, the ongoing pandemic and how difficult it is to create content in this environment, and this is something that Disney's being right. impacted by, but all of the studios are being impacted by, you could make the argument, you know what, keep the dividend for now, but potentially, you know, coming into uh, next, uh, the first, second, third quarter of 2021, when you do want to ramp up production in a major way when you can, there's going to be a, a sort of stampede to create content. Uh, may, maybe you would think about it then. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of months, but part of it's going to be about the health of Disney and, frankly, the health of the parks and everything else. So we'll see. Yeah, they're, they're going to have an interesting time figuring how they split the baby on this one. If Disney has trouble with content, you know what I mean? I mean, that's what, like, and, and original content is, is king, but yeah. if Disney, you think of Disney as being in a pretty good place to compete with, with Netflix in, in terms of, right. I mean, everything a that Iger library, bought over the years. Lots with, of yeah, characters Pixar, that they can spin Star Wars, and, but, and, but they and, have to create it, I guess. The problem is, as you, I don't know if you've run into this, I mean, we feel as a family, we're running out of, we're definitely running out of new stuff. The most of the stuff we're now watching is stuff that we missed, you know, months or if not years ago. We're going back right. to watch old stuff in large right. part because the, there, isn't, there isn't a plethora of new stuff that's, that, that's coming. And I think come the end of this year, early into 2021, you're going to go on to a Netflix, you're going to go on to a Disney, you're going to go on to a Hulu. And I bet you you're going to see a little bit of churn because some people are going to say, you know what, I'm going to hold off. There's just not enough new stuff for me. Andrew, Versailles, but not with the kids. Not with the kids, Versailles, but, but, but not, as I say, but not, 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 not with the kids. Which streaming platform is that? Uh, it's Netflix. Oh, yeah, that's Netflix. It's, okay. not, it's, not, uh, oh. it's not Disney, but living in, that, in Versailles, in that, uh, if you remember the court, it was like being I, at Disneyland. I'll yeah, add it was, to my list. I'll throw out cake. one for you and Becky. And our viewers, Tehran on Apple TV Plus is oh, outrageously yeah? amazing. I saw that. Unbelievable. It reminded me, it reminded me of Fauda. It sort of. And, it's and written. Fact, the, the, one of the it's actors was one in of Fauda. the writers from Fauda. One of the actors was in right. Fauda. It, that, it, I that think I it was saw. created, but it was created by one of the writers from Fauda. It's spectacular. Really? But it's on Apple, huh? I don't watch any adult stuff. I only watch Apple. kids' stuff. I was watching Daddy Daycare. And that's without your kids being around. That's weird. That's a little. <laughs> no. That's weird. There are never not kids around. That's that true. is the issue. That's true. You're talking about your husband. Next on Squawk Pod, pollster and political strategist Frank Luntz on the one and only vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris and what his focus group of undecided voters took away. You can't give Mike credit for winning the debates. You have to give Kamala responsibility for losing it because of the tone, because of the demeanor. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. 
Last night in Salt Lake City, Vice President Mike Pence and California Senator Kamala Harris faced off in their one and only debate before the elections. They sparred on the economy, jobs, China, taxes, health care, and the handling of the pandemic. The tone, though, from last night's debate, quite a bit calmer than last week's first presidential debate. Let's start with a soundbite on China and jobs. The president's trade war with China. You lost that trade war. You lost it. What ended up happening is because of a so-called trade war with China, America lost 300,000 manufacturing jobs. Farmers have experienced bankruptcy because of it. We are in a manufacturing recession because of it. Lost the trade war with China. Joe Biden never fought it. Joe Biden has been a cheerleader for communist China through over the last several decades. Joining us now with his takeaway is Frank Luntz. He's political strategist and pollster. And Frank, you were watching last night with the focus group. What did that group think? They thought that Mike Pence was the clear winner, which is very different than what happened in the first debate. They felt that Pence was calm, cool and collected. They had an issue with how uh, Kamala Harris communicated. And as I'm listening to them, the tone and demeanor of the discussion last night was exactly what the American people want. They go back and forth, where they talk about where they stand. But there's still some complaints with our undecided voters that they're not specific enough about the future. That Kamala Harris spent too much time prosecuting the Trump administration, and Mike Pence spent too much time defending the Trump administration. They want to know exactly what they're going to do on jobs. They want to know exactly what they're going to do on taxes. And the number one uh, question from them is what's going to happen with the Supreme Court? Will Joe Biden try to pack the Supreme Court? Mike Pence did an outstanding job making that an issue yesterday, and that is resonating in the minds of the American people today. Frank, that kind of shocks me, the idea that the Supreme Court would resonate more with undecided voters. It wouldn't surprise me as much if these were hardcore voters who knew that this was going to be the issue that they were going for. But for undecided voters, I would have guessed that the biggest issue would have been the economy. I agree with you, and I was very surprised. But if you notice what Pence did, they go through the questions, they go through the give and take. And this is the impact of a debate, that it's supposed to change people's minds, it's supposed to change their perspective, their outlook. And I, you can't give Mike credit for winning the debate. You have to give Kamala responsibility for losing it because of the tone, because of the demeanor. And I don't know if you, if you have a clip of this, but the smirking and the, the reactions to it. It did not do well for Al Gore back in 2000, and it did not sit well with voters with Senator Harris in this debate. Yeah, but voters probably looking a little bit more for a return to more presidential behavior, uh, not liking some of those things. But let's show you a clip about what they did say about the economic recovery. When, when Vice President Pence was asked about that, he used the opportunity to go after the Biden campaign. More taxes, more regulation, banning fracking, abolishing fossil fuel, crushing American energy, and economic surrender to China is a prescription for economic decline. President Trump and I will keep America growing. The V-shaped recovery that's underway right now will continue with four more years of President Donald Trump. Frank, what did the panel say just about the responses to the economy and what they heard from each candidate? The issue about the economy is that they don't think that is as good today as it was back in March. They do, they are concerned about the jobs coming back, but they did not hear a plan from either candidate about what they're going to do to bring those jobs back. No details. 
I'm waiting for the candidates to look people straight in the eye, look the American people straight in the eye, and articulate step one, step two, step three. Now, Mike Pence did a better job this debate than Donald Trump did a week ago in explaining and, and doing so in a presidential or vice presidential way the, the approach that they have taken up to this point. But and I want to be clear about this. Voters aren't looking backwards. They're looking ahead. We know what happened over the last four years. Now tell me what's going to happen over the next four weeks, four months, and four years. Hey, Frank, question for you just about how voters think about the truth versus the presentation. I absolutely agree with you. The, the disposition and demeanor with which Senator Harris carried herself relative uh, to, to Vice President Pence Vice President Pence would clearly be the winner. Having said that, listening to the actual answers, listening to the answers of how they're answering questions, or rather in certain cases, not answering questions, or answering questions with untruths, the question is, do the, do, do, does what's actually coming out of their mouth matter? Well, it matters, but, but Andrew, just as you and I can see each other, it's not just hearing what they have to say, it's watching them and how they say it. And if you are dismissive, if you reject, and I, I know this is a, uh, a show about money, a show about finance, a show about the economy, but every time I do these focus groups with undecided voters, and they only represent 6% of America, almost everybody's made up their minds by this point, they're looking at the total candidate, not just where they stand on the issues. And they're not reading the Wall Street Journal, they're not reading the Financial Times, they're not reading The Economist, what they are doing is watching to see whether or not they can trust that individual. And Mike Pence did extraordinarily well in that. He never got agitated. He never got flustered. This is a complete difference from the first debate that our focus group thought that Joe Biden won because they thought, frankly, that Donald Trump was not acting presidential and was, was uh, um, even abusive to the vice president. It's you not know, just Frank. what you stand, it's also who you are. You know, Frank, uh, I would never say alternative facts. I know someone said that one time. I think it was uh, Kellyanne Conway, alternative facts. But there are ways that, that you can take numbers and, 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 and facts, and you're going to skew it to one side or the other. And hearing her, hearing uh, Vice, uh, Senator Harris talk about the manufacturing issue, I mean, I guess it's in the eye of the beholder whether it's true or not, but our manufacturing sector was decimated for, tw for the last 20 years, whether it's NAFTA or whatever you want to talk, whether it's uh, offshoring, whatever it was. But there was definitely a, 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 some uh, return of manufacturing jobs based on the, the, the way that the, uh, you know, the tax bill brought certain repatriation, brought things back. So, I mean, who's telling the truth? I mean, it, it's, on, it's in the eye of the beholder which candidate is, is, and I see it all the time in the mainstream media, that, oh, well, we don't need to fact check the left because they're not lying. We just need to fact check Trump because all he does is lie. And that perception uh, is, is, is unfair. And it, both sides I have some whoppers that I've seen. I didn't see the debate last night, but I saw uh, Biden talk about manufacturing. It was false sure. in my view. And, I, and uh, you, you can rebut, Frank, but hurry up because it's coming. I can see it in the spy cam. Anyway, go ahead. It's coming because it's, it's responding to what the voters saw because they saw the debate. And I go back to a Paul Simon, wonderful line from a Simon and Garfunkel song. A man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. We had people who were voting for Joe Biden when they walked into that room, when they walked into our Zoom, who left voting. They, they didn't 
changed their minds, but they left believing that Mike Pence was more presidential. And it's not necessarily about the policy. It's about the presentation. It's about whether they look you straight in the eye. It's about whether you're rude. Uh, you know, I, I cut right. you off just but they would not have liked what I did right now. It is very clear that Mike Pence won that debate. This is exactly what happened in 2016. Donald Trump was losing. He lost his first debate. Mike Pence level set it, and then Trump came back. Donald Trump is down by a significant Frank, amount right now. Go ahead. Here go we ahead. go. Frank, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that, 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 that Vice President Mike Pence, as I said to you, uh, if, if from a disposition perspective, if that's how you're looking at it, he, looked, he looks you in the eye. He, he, he looks like he's telling you the truth. However, there's sort of a, what I'm worried about is there's a false equivalency going on because he would say, dare I say, untruths, uh, both about uh, both about the Trump administration itself and also untruths about about the Biden administration. That's not to say that Senator Harris did not skew some of the uh, some of the facts uh, her direction at all. But there were things that were said that uh, were just the opposite of true. And what I don't understand is how you think the public, especially those in the middle who are trying to, to, to come up with an answer, conceive or even think about that? Or is it that they don't know what the truth is? And the answer is they, they, they may not know what the truth is, but they're not ideological like you guys are. They don't have these strong philosophical underpinnings. And so to them, the character of the individual, we ask this specific question, what was more important to you, honesty, integrity, and truth? or policies such as taxes and budgets and health care and COVID. And almost to a person, not unanimously, but almost to a person, the honesty and integrity was more important. And to their perception, somebody who's willing to listen to the responses, somebody who's willing to, in a calm, uh, 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 relaxed way, willing to explain where they stand, willing to take criticism and then explain why it's unjustified. That is the person they're looking to vote for. And remember, when you're watching a vice presidential debate, you have to judge not necessarily where they stand, but are they ready and capable to step in? These are two old candidates. Could these two individuals be the next president? And as they were judging them that way, they judged uh, Vice President Pence better than Senator Harris. Frank, are, are the left's, it just seems to me people think that the left's truths are just truer than the right's truths. I mean, it, they say it with a straight face. I li it, it's amazing to me, with, without any sense of irony or, or self-introspection uh, at all. I mean, it, I don't, I, don't, I just, it's, it, it's fla I'm flabbergasted when I hear it. It's like, it's almost just a sin. Well, wait a second. What, where you does guys, that come from? You guys are setting yourself up to a very contentious morning. <laughs> I know that when I disappear, it's like, I feel like I'm mom and dad, and I have oh to Oh, my God. Anyway, let, let's go. Let Becky has another soundbite to turn into. Uh, Actually, I had another quick question, Frank. I, right. I, I looked at your focus group. How did you choose them? How many people are they? Is it reflective of where the overall undecided voter is? And how accurate was this four years ago, listening to these types of fo focus groups? So on the second debate, when I said on CBS News that... Uh, Donald Trump is back in the race. I got challenged by, at the time, Charlie Rose, by uh, Nora O'Donnell, Gail King. I got challenged by the president of CBS. I even got a phone call from Les Moonves. Are you sure about that? Are you sure you're not giving advice? Trump had performed so well in that second debate that he'd come back into the race and he was now credible again. I say the same thing about what happened tonight. These people, 15 individuals, all from swing states, all undecided voters, Maybe three or four of them had a point of view. 
And in fact, if I were to go back at it again, I would have thrown a couple of them out because they truly weren't undecided. But from that segment of the population, eight of them walked in with a narrow advantage for Donald Trump. Seven of them came in with a narrow advantage for Joe Biden. Virtually all of them, all but two of them, felt that Mike Pence won the debate. I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that he did. And he did not because of what he talked about, but how he communicated. Let's listen into what the candidates had to say about the issue of tax cuts as well. The truth and the fact is Joe Biden has been very clear. He will not raise taxes on anybody who makes less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. He said he's going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. (laughs) I'm speaking. Joe Biden will not raise taxes on anyone who makes less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. He has been very clear about that. It wasn't just about the issue. And, and Pence challenged her, and the public believes that the Biden administration is going to raise taxes on people who make less than 400000 But that wasn't what got people's attention when she said to him, I'm speaking, and she's got that smile. I will tell you that she was very well prepped in terms of the language that she used, very effective. But she was not well prepped and not well served in terms of how she presented. You saw her reaction, almost like a laughter, I'm speaking. You knew that that line, and she did it twice during the debate, that that line had been rehearsed. For undecided voters, authenticity matters so much, and they did not find her authentic. Hey, Frank, I think we do have a a soundbite from the focus group, too, if we just want to play that to hear some of the things that they were telling you. Why don't we go ahead and listen in? In one sentence, tell me about tonight's debate. And, Laura, I'm going to start with you. Um, Well, I didn't really learn anything new. We already knew about um, Pence sort of coming in, and I didn't learn a whole lot about um, Kamala Harris tonight. A um, couple little questions that I would have liked to to have heard answers to, namely the the court was a big one for me. I'm disappointed I still couldn't get some of the questions I've been looking for answered. Felt like I was in a older election, like politics of yesteryear. Concerned. I am concerned about what I'm going to do for the collective whole. I'm concerned. I felt like it was a bust. Uh, the stuff that I wanted answers to, uh, the, the questions were asked, but there were no answers, like the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling that that's our consensus, that you really wanted an answer from uh, the California senator about that, but you didn't get it. In one sentence. Hey, Frank, I, I think part of the issue is like feeling like you don't get the answers coming from the questions that have been asked. And I, I, I doubt that that's something that's unique to this debate. But has that grown in recent years? Is, is it more problematic or is this just more of the same? Well, you're correct to point it out. It, but what was skepticism is now cynicism, where they would be uh, annoyed that they didn't get an answer. Now they just assume that the politicians don't answer them. And they assume that the politicians aren't telling them the truth. And that's why that authenticity, the integrity matters so much. This is not for the last 26 days of the campaign. This is not going to be about who's going to raise your taxes. It's not going to be about the specifics in health care. Who cares about you? Who empathizes with you? Who understands you? To me, this is 2012 rather than uh, 2016. It's going to be about who gets you, who understands your pain rather than who can fix it? Uh, Frank, I think that that last um, 
Byte, we say, it's kind of an illustration of what we're talking about, about wh wh whether you cherry pick numbers. If you rescind the Trump tax cuts, there will be tax increases on people that make less than 400,000. Now, I don't think that the new taxes he's proposing are for people that make less than $400,000, but included in the Trump tax cuts, there were, maybe if he rescinds the, the Trump tax cuts, he just does the corporate tax or does, um, you know, maybe he puts in, you know, doesn't repeal the law en masse and, and you know, takes out certain things that would leave taxes the same on people that are below 400. But if you just purely uh, rescind those tax cuts or repeal those tax cuts, it would raise taxes on people that make. So you can see how both sides are saying truths, but they're they're spun in a way that, that they can both claim to be be true. Andrew, is that not true? That that, that Joe, they I'll would. Joe, I'll do you one. I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. One of the things that that the Biden campaign has said is that they are going to raise uh, the capital gains rate. Well, guess right. what? If you raise the capital gains rate, it doesn't matter whether you make $400,000 or not. That capital right. gains rate, for at least for some people, over the 20% threshold is going to go up. So, so, so you where's know, you the truth? Talk about it's like, lies. Right. Put, put that so, in the lying category. And that's what just, I mean. So, just so you see that I'm apolitical on this. Right. Yeah. But so where's the truth? <laughs> that's all I'm saying. It's that they're not alternative facts, but there are ways of massaging the facts to your side of things that, that where you almost can make a statement, like she just made the statement, no one under 400,000, uh, Senator Harris, well, we, and that's, is it false? Uh, I mean, it's kind of true because he doesn't want new taxes, perhaps, but, but it's not really true if, if you consider ca capital gains or some of the other, I don't know. We're, that's why none of us ever are going to run for office. It's just, you know, it's, I, 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 you got, it's, it takes a special person to go, to go do that, I think. Let me jump in because we've got two more debates to go. The, the public is asking for specifics. And this is a lesson for Donald Trump, that they do not want his behavior in the first debate. All the polling showed a widening of Joe Biden's lead in, in, the, in the swing states in the country. Number two. Uh, Trump's negativity, his, uh, the people who don't like him, actually increased, even though we, we know what he's all about, because he's been president for a while. Number three, as you, as you show on the screen right now, the betting odds are going up for Joe Biden every single day. This is a wake-up call for the Trump campaign, that if you deliver a message the way Mike Pence delivered it, if you are straightforward, if you don't insult, if you challenge, as Mike Pence did, without being rude and, and offensive, you have the ability to capture the hearts and minds of those undecided. But if you behave in a way that doesn't allow people to even hear the messaging, even hear the responses, you will fail. Uh, uh, for the three of you, last point. It was fascinating to me that Donald Trump a week ago did fine for the first 10 or 15 minutes. But as he went on, the resentment grew that what works in the first 10 or 15 minutes of a debate does not work in the back hour, and the public expects to be able to hear what you have to say, and they will resent it if you keep them away from the information they are seeking, from the information that they deserve. Frank, thank you for your analysis this morning. One point, Andrew, I just looked up the Biden tax plan. It would tax long-term capital gains and qualified dividends at the ordinary income tax rate of 39.6% on income above a million dollars. So it's 
It wouldn't start at four hundred thousand or under four hundred thousand dollars. That's for income above a million dollars. It also eliminates so the step up in, okay. in basis for capital gains tax action. I, I mean, I'm just this is what the Tax Foundation says. I just looked it up as we were talking about it. Um, just to clarify on that point, we should probably look it up in other places, but that's what the Tax Foundation says. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, the uh, but there were tax cuts in the plan. Not even 12 hours after the vice presidential debate Wednesday night, and barely any time after Frank Luntz offered his analysis, some news about the next presidential debate crossed the wires. We got some breaking news we want to bring you right now. The Commission on Presidential Debates just announcing that the next debate is going to be virtual. It's going to be in the form of a town hall meeting, and the candidates will participate from separate remote locations scheduled for October 15th. So. You know, we've talked about the, the idea of a mute button before. Uh, a mute button, uh, maybe, we, we've had problems, you know, just uh, crisscrossing yeah. this way. Yeah. I, I can't imagine but we do what it. that's going to be like to remotely. It. But We managed to do it. Hopefully they won't have a delay, God, I, that, that, that we deal with. But we managed, uh, we managed to do it uh, every day. Becky, are you going to be just, uh, there in between those two? That might help. Uh, that might help, too, if you're, if you're <laughs> no, like, like exactly... I, my question would be, have both the campaigns already signed off on this? Because obviously yeah. the campaigns have to agree to what, what happens with the debate laws that, that get handed down, too. But you almost wonder if there's a, a, a need for a much different sort of debate style. If, if you want the questions answered, if you want to make sure people keep to the time cues, I don't know how you do that or really yeah. keep control of any of this stuff. Or if you just I, say, I forget it, let's just have an honest conversation and, and do it that way. But it, it, it does feel like these debates have gotten older and clunkier and, and, and don't necessarily fit with what viewers want at this point. And shortly after that, President Trump told Fox Business there might not be another debate at all. We're hearing that President Trump says that changing the debate style to virtual is not acceptable to us, and I'm not going to waste my time uh, doing a virtual debate. So that Eamon is uh, tweeting that out. That's uh, the latest. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. On our rundown tomorrow, former Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein on Wall Street, stimulus, 
and the winning and losing of capitalism. Look, if you have to lose, it's better that you lose at a time when everybody else is losing at a really tough time. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod, available for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.